coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast. It's up to you. It's up to how you live your life, which influences what genes are on and what genes are off. This is wildly important for us to understand and to embrace this reality because we have to take responsibility for our health. We absolutely do. Biological age is looking at certain patterns of a key epigenetic mark called DNA methylation. These patterns of DNA methylation can reliably predict how fast our body is aging. Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice for you and those around you. Our mission is to help you unlock the power of intentionality so that you can become the best version of yourself. If you're new to the show, I offer advice and answer listener questions on Fridays. We have long form interviews the rest of the week with guests ranging from astronauts to authors, CEOs, creators, innovators, scientists, military leaders, visionaries, and athletes. Now, let's go out there and become Passion Struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 174 of Passion Struck, recently ranked by Apple as one of the top five alternative health podcasts. And thank you to each and every one of you who come back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. And if you're new to the show, thank you so much for being here, or you would like to introduce this to a friend or family member, and we love it when you do that. We now have episode starter packs, both on Spotify and on our website. These are collections of our fans' favorite episodes that we organize into topics to give any new listener a great way to get acquainted to everything we do here on the show. Just go to passionstruck.com slash starter packs to get started. And in case you missed my episode from earlier in the week, it featured Dr. Valerie Young, who's the co-founder of the imposter syndrome and one of the foremost experts in the world on the subject. And we discuss everything that there is to do with imposter syndrome, perfectionism, why she thinks both of these are leading to the great resignation, as well as to employee disengagement. And we cover so much more. In case you missed the episodes from last week, I had on Colin O'Brady, who's an adventure athlete, world record holder, and author of the new book, The 12-Hour Walk. And my episode before that was with another author, DJ Vanis, who's an Air Force Academy graduate, Air Force veteran, as well as a speaker to Fortune 500 companies and tribal nations everywhere. And we cover his new book, The Warrior Within. And in case you missed my episode from last week, it's on how do you overcome the shattering consequences of abuse and heal from it. Now, let's talk about today's guest, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Gerald is the first ever recipient of the Emerging Leadership Award from the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute in recognition of her work on DNA methylation. Dr. Fitzgerald directs a large in-person and virtual clinical practice in Connecticut and is engaged in clinical research on DNA methylation using diet and lifestyle intervention developed in her clinic. Her first study was published in the journal Aging, and earlier this year, she came out out with a book, Younger You, based on its findings, where she shows you how you can reduce your bio-age and live longer and better through the use of an application-based program.
program. In our interview today, we discussed the defining moments that led her to this career in functional medicine. Dr. Fitzgerald provides a deep dive into the concept of biological aging. She breaks down the science of epigenetics and why DNA methylation is vital to our biological aging process. She discusses in detail the groundbreaking study that she did and the reduction that it had on participants' bioage. We then go into the different pillars from her new book, Younger You, with examples of some of the key things that you can put into practice immediately to help lower your biological age and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life. Now, let that journey begin. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Dr. Kara Fitzgerald to the Passion Struck Podcast. Welcome, Kara. Oh, it's so good to be here with you, John. I love having guests on the show of all types, but I have been so fascinated in the work that you're doing and absolutely devoured your book when it came out, which I'll put up here for the audience if they're uh, watching this on the YouTube. But it was just groundbreaking what I found in there. But before we jump into that, I like to start by allowing the audience to get to know the guest. And so one of the questions I like to start out with is we all have moments that define us. What is a moment that defined you? Uh, That's a great question. There are a few defining moments. I'm glad you gave me a little hint that you were going to ask this question. I'm going to mention two, if that's okay. The work in epigenetics was a defining moment for me. It was extraordinary. We're going to talk about that background later, so I won't go into detail. I am a functional medicine doctor. I educate other functional medicine physicians through the Institute of Functional Medicine. I have got a practice here in Connecticut, and that has been my trajectory. I It was an interesting change for me to go headlong into epigenetics. And it absolutely is in lockstep with functional medicine, but that was a very defining and career changing moment. Later, we'll get to that story and what brought me to conducting the research that I did and continue to, and what brought me to writing the book. It's, I mean, it blows my mind. So that's defining very big, recent defining moment for me. And then the other one was just when I was in my twenties and looking at my medical training and became sick with chronic fatigue. So sort of a classic chronic fatigue, probably had mono in it too. I just reactivated Epstein-Barr infection. I was doing too much as a 20-something people do. And I didn't get better. So I doctor, doctor hopped, doctor hopped, doctor hopped, and then finally got better when I saw a naturopathic physician. Actually, one of the longest practicing naturopathic physicians here in Connecticut, his name is Dr. Jeff Class. And it was my landlady who was healthy and hearty in her 90s who said I needed to go see her doctor. And she sent me off to this naturopathic physician and he got me better with very simple intervention. That was a big defining moment for me because that ultimately created the pathway. I mean, it just enlightened me to the possibility of training in naturopathic medicine. Yes. And then how did you go from there into having this obsession that you do for looking at the biological age? (laughs) Well, that's many years. I've been practicing for a while. So school was an extraordinary time. I loved the training that I received I was in the Pacific Northwest. I was able to access Dr. Jeff Bland, who's a nutritional biochemist and an incredibly forward-thinking human being. I saw him lecture and he became my mentor when I was doing a postdoc 
position in laboratory science, it influenced my world. Like I don't practice traditional naturopathic medicine. I just became enamored of nutritional biochemistry and ended up going into a laboratory. I did a residency in clinical integrative medicine as well, but my heart and soul, I loved clinical, I love clinical medicine, but I, I just loved being in a lab. I loved being in sort of the omics revolution that we find ourselves in now where we're looking and this and epigenetics fits into the omic being the suffix for the microbiome, the genome, the epigenome, like we are in this revolution in medicine that's as revolutionary as the industrial revolution. I mean, we're able to see what's happening at the genetic level. We can look at genetic expression now. This is epigenetics and biological age. We'll circle back to this. We can measure the entire microbiome. We can measure the proteins our body may, our genes transcribe and then get translated via RNA. We can look at those. That's called the proteome. The technology that we have now in science and medicine is just mind boggling. And my laboratory training was a precursor to where we are today. So it really very much set up in me a deep appreciation of our technology and the power of it, but layered directly on top of that. So this extraordinary ability to see is my naturopathic training is this deep appreciation of how we evolved and what works best with us, how we eat, how we should eat, how we should live, how we interact with our fellow humans, et cetera. I had this very grounded, traditional naturopathic education layered onto the training and the ability to see how this influences us. So then flash forward to biological age, we measure the biological age by looking at what genes are on and off. And it's amazing. This is the field of epigenetics above the genes. It's the interaction of biochemical marks that turn genes on and off. Those biochemical marks are influenced by how we live our life. So here's our genes. They're not changing. We got what we got. They don't influence our health like we think that they do. They don't influence longevity like we think they do. These are huge points that we have to underline. If you think you're going to live long and fabulous because your parents did or your grandparents did, that might influence 10 to 20% of your genes might be 10 to 20% effect on your longevity. Likewise, if your family was horribly sick, nope, you don't necessarily inherit that. It's up to you. It's up to how you live your life, which influences what genes are on and what genes are off. This is wildly important for us to understand and to embrace this reality because we have to take responsibility for our health. We absolutely do. So biological age is looking at certain patterns of a key epigenetic mark called DNA methylation. These patterns of DNA methylation can reliably predict how fast our body is aging. A lot of people have heard of Ponce de Leon, the 16th century Spanish expeditionary who was on this massive hunt for the fountain of youth, which he thought would be in Florida. But actually, when you start looking at it, the search for the fountain of youth has actually been going on for millennia. We are now seeing science that proves that although our chronological age, meaning the number of years that we've been here on earth, is kind of a static thing that's not going to change, at least with today's science, there are ways that we can drastically influence the other side of that, which you just talked about, biological age, which ultimately is what has the largest impact on chronic illness and other areas of your life. And one of the things 
I found really interesting is I recently had on the show a behavioral scientist from the University of Pennsylvania named Katie Milkman. She gave out a statistic that when you start looking at premature deaths and you look at this pie chart, 40% of them are preventable based on behavioral change or our behaviors in general. And I think they all come down to these micro choices that we make every single day. Is that something that you have found in your research that makes a profound difference? I think that statistic is probably conservative. I think the way that we live our lives influences health outcomes more so. I mean, if you pull out accidental cause of death, I think that micro choices are important. I think settling into the journey of longevity and a good life is the first step. And just in, and, and yeah, it's settling into a rhythm with living the best life you can. I guess the one, the pause that I have on the micro choices is we need a little bit of wiggle room. (laughs) Like we can't be perfect all, like we need a little bit of give in that, but the net choice that we make has really needs to be favorable. If our goal is robust health span and, and lifespan, the net choice. And yes, that absolutely is consistent with what I've read on the literature. One of the things I like to talk about to just get people interested in taking charge is that one exercise event or one meditation event can actually favorably change gene expression. It can change DNA methylation in a favorable pattern. And this to me is very heartening for the individual who doesn't exercise or who doesn't practice meditation. Start right now, move your body, meditate for a minute, whatever, this is going to be favorable. However, it'll spread like wildfire, cell to cell to cell to cell to cell as cell divisions happen if we continue this practice. And when you look at people who are regular exercises or regular practice meditators, they are biologically younger. So there is something about consistency with the journey. And those of us who are just starting, you're going to get benefits right out the gate. Well, it's interesting that you brought that part up because in addition to Katie, I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Michelle Seeger, who's a behavioral scientist at the University of Michigan, but her focus is on health and exercise. And in her book, The Joy Choice, she brings up the point, as you did, that in society, we're often taught to start and stop, but we're not really shown how to sustain. And that's where I was getting to with the micro choices that we make every day. It's easy to say you want to do something. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions, but actually making that habit stick is something different. So just for me today, I had the choice of walking my dog for three and a half miles or not. I had the choice of doing the spin class I did or not. I had the choice of having salmon with a mix of kale and other raw vegetables, or I could have had a hamburger with French fries. So ultimately it's those decisions that you factor into your life. One day isn't going to alter that, but if you're not consistent in the practice, that's where I was getting at. That's where you can either go in a direction that's going to bring you longevity or in the opposite way where your biological age is going to get older than your chronological age. And that's when I think chronic illness and other things will start hitting you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is in this country, and we should dissect what you're talking about because it's extremely, extremely important. Education is a piece of it. And I think that we can inspire people, at least I hope 
that we can inspire people by giving them the facts. I mean, and the facts are in our country, the majority of us will have two significant chronic diseases by the time we're in our early 60s. We will be on multiple medications. Make no mistake that you will, if you're choosing the standard American lifestyle, end up in this position. Your hard-earned dollars, your lifetime commitment to your work, your kids' inheritance will go to this journey. You will spend it. I mean, big pharma will get your money skilled nursing facilities, hospitals, they will inherit what should rightfully go to your kids and be yours in your golden years. That is the trajectory in this country. I mean, it's just the bitter truth. It's ugly. It's so ugly. I don't think we get that. We don't take it in. We spend 16 years of our lives, our final years, really sick and compromised. For me, that raises my, I feel such indignation, such offense at that trajectory that it is motivating. It's motivating because it really pisses me off, frankly. No way do I want to end up in that arena. I do not want to live the standard American life. And it's very motivating for me to do right by my body and to make those daily micro choices. So I think education, really kind of understanding that the standard American life will put you in a skilled nursing facility propped up and taking many medications. And that is where your hard-earned dollars will go. And if we can get enough people on board with that information and really pull the branch down to how you can live a quality life, it needn't be that difficult. So here's the truth. The truth is not pretty in this country. And here's the alternative. It was an extraordinary finding that we were able to show that a simple diet and lifestyle program doesn't need to be out of the reach of any of us was able to reverse biological age. This is broadly adoptable. One of the peer reviewers at the journal we submitted to, the journal Aging, said just that, that this is important information because we can all do it. It's not out of reach, pluripotent stem cells uh, therapy, 50 or $60,000. This is something that you can choose in your local regular grocery store and getting outside perhaps for a walk or whatever form of movement you want to do. It's not rocket science and it's not prohibitive. It needn't be prohibitively expensive to adopt some of these. But yes, we do need to get people engaged. I will add one more thing and then I want to hear your thoughts. Certainly the community environment helps. I So this is what I, two thoughts on that. So in our study, I believe the reasons that it did so well were one, our participants were excited about do, engaging in a study that looked at gene expression that was an epigenetic kind it was a first of its kind study so they were jazzed up about the content but they also worked with our nutrition team we've got a like an elite ninja nutrition team here in our in our practice and actually it's a virtual nutrition team we work with people around the world who are so well trained in the science and just getting people rolling in however they need to eat so these nutritionists met with our study participants once a week and i think that touch point was an essential piece to our success. Our adherence data on our participants is just very, very impressive. Most nutrition studies are kind of lousy and they get criticized for either poor adherence or just using dietary recall forms that people fill out every few months or even longer. So nutrition studies are notoriously flawed. And I think that we changed that by having our nutritionists stay in contact. So that's a little bit of maybe a community but then once we launched the book, we started a Facebook group for the book that has become a massive 
really active, lovely, fun community where they post photos of their amazing meals and talk about issues they might be having that they need some brainstorming on. But so I think the community piece and I think regular, consistent support is both are very essential. We'll be right back to my interview with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. A lot of people dream of having their own business. I know for me, it was so difficult when I started, but by having their own business, that also means running their own business. And if you're living your entrepreneurial dream, but struggling with tedious administrative tasks, and we all know how tedious they can be, whether that's HR, payroll, or employee benefits, well then I suggest you let Gusto help because they offer an all-in-one payroll and HR solution for growing businesses. From full service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. And with Gusto, most customers are able to run payroll in 10 minutes or less. Whether your team is in person, remote, or a combination, with Gusto, keeping your team on track is easy. Join the more than 200,000 new and growing businesses that are using Gusto to build a great workplace for their employees. And right now, Gusto is offering our listeners three months free at gusto.com slash passionstruck. Get easy payroll benefits, HR, and a happier team. So go to gusto.com slash passionstruck for your first three months free. That's G-U-S-T-O dot com slash passionstruck. Thank you for supporting those who support the show and make it happen for our listeners for free. And all those discount codes can be so difficult to remember. So we put them in one convenient place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to my interview with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Well, I couldn't agree more. And you asked me to comment. I thought one of the things that just jumped out of your beginning of your book was your reporting on the World Health Organization indicating that most people spend, I think it was 20% of their lives sick. The other thing that's pretty eye-opening is that life expectancy given all the improvements that we've made in health systems and everything else is actually declining. Yeah, significantly. And significantly, which is very alarming. So for me, what I'm trying to help the audience understand is how can they live their best life? How can they achieve the best performance that they possibly can? Yes. And to me, everything that we're talking about here not only is going to impact your longevity, it's going to impact your cognitive capabilities. It's going to affect your energy levels and everything around it. So the things that you mention in the book are, to me, just groundbreaking and they build the foundation on which anyone who applies them can live this life that they want and ward off much of the chronic illness that they could potentially face later in life. And I think you just brought up a really interesting point when you talk about the environment. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ellen Langer's study that she did of elderly men, but she took a group of eight men in their 70s. Are, are you familiar with it? Yeah, but tell, do tell. And she basically put them back in the environment. I think it was 1959, but not only did she do that, some of them were very arthritic, had other issues, and they did nothing for them. They didn't carry their bags. They didn't help them in any way. And then she made the environment very much as if they were living at that time period. So they had no mirrors there. All the pictures of them were of their younger selves. And then they had to act as if they were in that exact time period. And I understand there was a control group who pretty much lived in a similar environment, but they were told, 
to kind of reflect back on time. And what was interesting to me was that the results showed that both groups actually had significant improvements. But what was really eye-opening was the group that was in the experimental had significantly more profound changes. And one of the biggest ones was I think they had over 63 or 66% leap in cognitive test results than they did going in. And if I'm not incorrect, they had a independent body kind of look at pictures before and after both groups. And those who were in the experimental one, every single one of them was judged to look at least two years younger than they did going into the study. And it wasn't even that long. But I bring that study up because our environment and what we surround ourselves with absolutely matters. And I wanted to use this because you were touching on this test that you did. And I think David Sinclair in this space has gotten a lot of publicity. And most of his testing has been on fleas and mice and monkeys, et cetera. But in your case, your program actually involved human beings. And I think it was the first actual test that proved that you could reduce this bioage. And your participants did it by reducing their bioage by three years. But I think it's helpful for the audience to understand the parameters that went into this so they could understand where you took these people from because they came from various levels. It wasn't like you brought in superstar Ironman triathletes. I was hoping you could explain that just sure. a little bit more. Just to be accurate, it wasn't the first human study. The first human study came out the year we were in 2019. So we were still in our running our study in 2019. The first study was the TRIM trial, and that was a year-long intervention in nine men using growth hormone, metformin, DHEA and vitamin D. That was a year-long intervention, more aggressive treatment, growth hormone injections, and just nine men, no control group. And they did show a significant biological age reversal. That study got huge attention from the scientific community, even though it was very, very, very small and there was no control group because... Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner, we at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities from scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates. It's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to indeed.com slash passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. Up till 2019, we did not think biological age was reversible. 
I mean, it's extraordinary. When I talk about the medical scientific revolution, that's massive evidence of where we are. So that was 2019. It was a minute ago. We were running our study then. We published our study in early 2021. So different from the TRIM study, the first one was called, our study included, it was still small. It's a pilot study. It had 18 men in the control group. And we can talk about why men and not women after if you would like to. 18 men in our control and 20, excuse me, in the study group and then 20 men in the control group. So it was the first study of its kind to have to be randomized control trial, uh, to have a control group, which was a big deal, got a lot of attention. And it was the first of its kind intervention. I mean, it's unique intervention. I mean, and so we used uh, our diet, the diet that we prescribe, it won't be unfamiliar to somebody eating a healthy diet, lots of veggies, no processed foods, healthy fruits, berries, et cetera. We want some animal protein in there. If you eat animal protein, eggs, beets, mushrooms, higher fat, it's, we prescribed a little bit of an intermittent fasting structure, just very gentle time-restricted eating. So 12 hours eating, 12 hours without food. So basically an overnight fast, an easy exercise protocol, minimum of 30 minutes, five days a week, do whatever you want, whatever makes your heart sing, perceived exertion of 60 to 80% of maximum. So 60% of your maximum, whatever that is for you, nobody's going to tell you, you get to define what that is. Twice daily relaxation exercise. So this is a breathing exercise. We wanted people to sleep well, and the nutritionists I mentioned earlier who acted as study coaches would brainstorm with the participant to make sure that their sleep hygiene was good so that set them up for achieving a minimum of seven hours. And we gave them a probiotic and a greens powder, basically an extra hit of those all-important fruits and vegetables. So all of this was unique and continues to be. Our diet is designed specifically for optimal gene expression, for optimal epigenetics. And to my knowledge, there isn't another diet like this. And it was unique when we created it. We created it actually many years before we studied it, before we were given a grant to study it. And that's kind of an interesting story. More specifically, of all of the epigenetic marks, and there's many of them, the most resilient and the best studied are, I should say, arguably the most resilient. We don't know for sure. There are enzymes that keep these marks and maintained and reproduced, et cetera. So it's, it's resilient and we can research it. It's called DNA methylation. So the epigenetic mark that we focus on and that a lot of scientists focus on is DNA methylation. And so our whole program, every brick by brick, every piece of this program was designed with an eye towards favorably influencing DNA methylation. And all of those studies and sort of why it's important, I lay out in easy language in the book. It's unique because of that design. Well, I think it might be well worthwhile to take a step back before we go deeper into DNA methylation, because one of the things that I have heard from talking to a number of neuroscientists is they often give the analogy of the brain being the hardware and your mind is the software. And okay. you use the same analogy to describe the difference between DNA and epigenetics. So I thought maybe we could start there and then we'll go do a yes. deeper dive on DNA methylation. Yes. And we should also give the findings of the study if we haven't yet. Yes. We well, why don't we start with findings of the study and then we'll go into the other things. Yeah, so our study also got a lot of attention because again, it Get ready for an uplifting experience with Coached Soul. Join us 
as we bring you the dynamic duo of Steve Hudgens, a licensed professional counselor, and Kenya Evelyn, a transformational leadership coach. Together, they'll guide you through engaging episodes filled with valuable insights and actionable tips on mental health, relationships, self-care, emotional well-being, and personal growth. Coached Soul is your go-to podcast for empowering discussions that will help you thrive, where we aim to empower and uplift you on your journey towards personal growth and well-being. Remember, as you navigate through life, you don't have to do it alone. We encourage you to reach out to professionals, seek support from loved ones, and take the time to prioritize your own well-being. Stay tuned for future episodes filled with even more valuable insights and actionable tips. Remember, you have the power to thrive. And with Coach at Soul by your side, anything is possible. Until next time, take care, stay empowered, and keep shining your brightest light. For more information, contact coachedsoul.com. It's first of its kind. As compared to our control group, our participants in the eight-week time period that we prescribed our protocol were 3.24 years younger. So biologically, their biological age dropped considerably as compared to controls. That was pretty extraordinary. It blew our minds and blew a lot of people's minds. We got a lot of attention for it. Very exciting. And then we hopped right into publishing it as a book. It seemed to me that this knowledge shouldn't be in the ivy towers, sort of hidden from view, but made available to everybody. Well, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show and to get this information out there as possible so we can help people live healthier lives. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, can we then dive into... That analogy that I was talking about between the hardware and the software? Indeed, we can. Yeah. So yeah, DNA is hardware. You need, in order for our genes to express, for them to produce proteins that, you know, help the body run or make the body and help the body run, build us, you know, and keep us going. This comes from our DNA. These are the proteins. This is the hardware. It doesn't change. And it needs a software interface to make the correct sell for the job. It needs this software interface. And that is epigenome or the epigenetics. So DNA is kind of inert. It hangs around and does nothing. It really sits in the middle of our nucleus. And then epigenetic sort of epigenetic influences what gene is expressed and when and how. And again, I will underline and sort of punctuate we are in the driver's seat with influencing what genes are on and what genes are off. So we have a lot of say over epigenetics. And so we want ultimately to have our software be as pristine as possible. We want to be turning on the best genes. We want to be turning on longevity genes and anti-inflammatory genes, genes like oxytocin, the love hormone, serotonin, dopamine. We want to be turning on things that help us feel good and help us thrive, help us be healthy, turn off inflammation. We want that. Like when you were talking about the study where the men were in the 1950s, I'm, and they weren't looking in the mirror, so they didn't know that they were forgetting that they were actually in their 70s or however old they were. They were having love hormones. I mean, they were just having a cascade of feel-good hormones, reparative hormones. These hormones actually that make us feel good tend to turn off inflammation. I mean, they do other, there's a far-reaching favorable cascade of events when these hormones are released. They're healing, they're calming, they turn off cortisol and stress hormones and take us out of the fight or flight place and allow us to repair. So it makes sense that there would just be this far reaching cascade of events when you put these individuals into their happy place, into a time when they knew when they were strong and excited and all of that. So 
Does that explain it? Is that a reasonable explanation? No, I think that's a great explanation. Earlier in the episode, you were talking about how there's a portion of us that we cannot change, but there's a lot that we can change. And I think the science that you're showing is really building upon some of the fundamental things that Darwin found, but in other ways, it's completely throwing a different dimension that he never comprehended when he was looking at this. And I wanted to use that as a backdrop to discussing DNA methylation, because it is absolutely linked to your bioage. And if people aren't familiar with it, it's something that is happening constantly in our bodies and probably is one of the biggest life forces that's actually driving us. But if someone really doesn't understand DNA methylation, can you explain it to them and maybe some of the markers behind it? Yeah, just ask me to clarify anything, as I know you will. So it's actually more broadly, we'll just call it methylation. And DNA methylation is one type of methylation. So you're right, methylation is happening in all of our cells all of the time. There are hundreds of methylation enzymes, the enzymes that catalyze the reaction. There's a methylation cycle. This methylation cycle, for us to make the methyl groups, let me keep backing up here. A methyl group is a carbon and three hydrogens, if you can remember basic high school biochemistry, just a carbon and three hydrogens. And this simple foundational molecule can change the behavior of other compounds in the body. So in talking about DNA methylation, when there are a lot of methyl groups on a gene, it will inhibit that gene from being turned on. And conversely, when there's an absence or few methyl groups, it will allow that gene to be turned on. In the methylation cycle, that's where we make this carbon and three hydrogen. This methylation cycle is whirring in the body all of the time. We're just making methyl groups at a breakneck pace because there's hundreds of different reactions in the body happening all the time, all over the place. And that methylation cycle requires a bunch of incredibly important nutrients, which your listeners are familiar with, nutrients like folate and B12. Folate and B12 are, are good for you. They help us make these methyl donors, this carbon and three hydrogens. Choline in eggs or in soy products is another key player in the cycle. Betaine in beets is another key player. In the book, there's a a huge epinutrient appendix. It's actually 30 pages of all sorts of nutrients that are going to help with DNA methylation. And all the foods that have these methyl donors in them are listed. So yep, we do want people to eat liver if they're open to doing it. You don't have to, but if you're open to it, it's a superfood. It's a multivitamin in a food matrix. It has a daily supply of B12 and folate. I mean, it's just so ridiculously nutrient dense. It's got choline and just a host of minerals. So in the appendix, there's all of these foods and that's the methylation cycle. So the methyl groups are made and then they go and act in the body beyond DNA methylation. They detox us. Methyl groups are used to clear the body out of certain toxic compounds that we're exposed to, including metals like arsenic, for example. It helps us make neurotransmitters. It helps us make feel good hormone. It helps our brain think. It helps our muscles fire. It helps clear out estrogens that can be damaging when they're too high of quantities. And then it also helps us when we make adrenaline. So it helps us make adrenaline or get up and go, but then it helps us metabolize adrenaline out. So methylation is happening everywhere. I think it's as fundamental as breathing. We think about the essentiality of oxygen, but having sufficient methyl groups around is as important for sustaining life. Over in the realm of DNA, there's an enzyme a family of enzymes called DNA methyltransferases that put these methyl groups onto genes. 
and we can support that and doing it right on the right gene, on the optimal set of genes. There's actually a family of enzymes called 1011 translocase enzymes that remove the methyl groups. And we want to support that as well. That's called demethylation. And I talk about that in the book and cover the nutrients that are helpful for demethylation. We just want to be working on getting it right with our habits and our dietary patterns. Yeah. And I think that's a good point because throughout the majority of the book, you're talking about things that help with promote methylation, but then you have other things that promote demethylation as well. So it's getting the right combination together that kind of produces this result. And that's where I thought we could take the next elements of the discussion. I wish I had three hours with you because I'd go even deeper into this because I love the science behind it. But I think it's important for the listeners to understand different aspects of the program. And I'm going to go through each one separately. Before I jump there, I did want to ask you a question since you brought up that previous study about human growth hormone. And I know probably a lot of listeners are interested in human growth hormone because there's a lot of people promoting it. But I thought maybe I'd ask you, what are the positives and negatives associated with it? It's a good question. The positives of human growth hormone is that it it helps with muscle development. It helps with cognition. It's something, think about it, is a molecule that we have in abundance when we're young. It's a structure that we're using all of the time to build ourselves when we're youthful. So it has far-reaching, extremely beneficial effects. It helps, it helps with growth of all kinds. When there's a growth hormone deficiency, people tend to be short stature and there's a host of issues when there's insufficient growth hormone. Growth hormone as a molecule that could be problematic is a little bit more nuanced in our understanding. I mean, so Walter Longo, you're familiar with his work, I'm sure. He is researching fasting mimicking diet. He advocates for lower protein intake. So Walter is clear that excess growth hormone promotes carcinogenesis. So, and it makes sense, right? Too much growth is sort of the fundamental mechanism of what cancer is, growth uncontrolled, and has very compelling science-backed argument for evidence for this. And also one of the longevity, so one of the blue zones, so these people living healthy and and hardy into their 100s with low incidence of the chronic diseases of aging, including cancer, happens to be in a region of Central America, actually Ecuador, there's a growth hormone deficiency among this particular population. So they're short, but they're healthy and they live long, good lives. So there's evidence for us to be cautious around promoting excess growth hormone and foods that promote growth, like high protein diets, turn the volume up on growth hormone. So there's reason for us to look at the literature and be a little bit cautious around uh, ingesting excess protein or even uh, taking growth hormone mimetics like nutrients that turn the volume up on growth hormone or using growth hormone injections themselves. There's reason for us to be cautious. The interesting flip side of this is, of course, Greg Fahey's study, the TRIM trial, where they used growth hormone injections and they continue to research it. They're onto their phase two trial. I don't know the preliminary data, but I did hear anecdotally that the people taking growth hormone love it. They look younger, they're stronger, they've got more muscle definition. So they've got all of these defining characteristics of youth because they're using growth hormone injections. There's been some challenge to the fact that growth hormone causes cancers. I think the jury is out. I don't know that we know. Is it possible to use growth hormone with a particular diet that will mitigate the risk of increasing cancer? 
you know, maybe. I think that answer remains to be seen. So Walter Longo and his science is ardently against turning the volume up on growth hormone, but Greg Faist is showing that it turns back the hands of time also. So we need to pay attention. Well, some of the people I see who are using it, their appearance drastically changes. I see them in the gym and their lean muscle mass. It's just incredible. However, a short period of time, the changes are that apparent. But what has always scared me was the downstream potential effects from it. I mean, they do sort of argue that they've looked at long-term growth hormone in this country with growth hormone deficiency and not necessarily seeing the fallout. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a potential big downside. I think we just need to pay attention. And I think there are tons of things where we've been skeptical about using them in clinical practice. Let's just take psychedelics, which are now phase three and phase two trials showing Mm -hmm. almost a doubling of the efficacy over traditional cognitive behavioral therapy and other things. So I'm just glad that we're looking at all these different ways of approaching functional medicine and functional health and that people are becoming more open to it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Likewise with rapamycin, that's a, a likely longevity drug that may be something that routinely prescribed to promote life and health span. We'll see. I mean, I know all of the science thus far, the controlled studies have been in animals, but they, in Australia, they're finally recruiting for a human study. I think it's actually underway. Well, I thought maybe an interesting way for us to discuss the things you should put in your life was maybe using me as a guinea pig. And as we talked about before the show, I've been very much trying to look at this because it's something that I wanted to understand myself. I want to perform the best I can. I want to live as long as I can, ward off diseases. So a lot of the things that are in your book, I have been implementing into my life. And so I thought maybe we could do it that way, which might be a little bit more entertaining for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The backdrop for me, and I know your test is different than theirs, but I used a product by Inside Tracker called Inner Age, which they have their own biomarkers. And in theirs, it's 17 for men. And I think they look at 11 or 13 for women. But basically, it came back with a report that showed I was a decade younger biologically than I was chronologically. So I'll go through some of the things that I tried to put in place. And maybe you can tell me if I'm doing the right things. So the number one thing I tried to work on was stress. Because for me, when I was a fortune... 500 corporate person, my stress level was out of control. And I ended up reaching this point where I was having health issues. And eventually I just became emotionally numb. I felt just completely out of whack. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So one of the most important things I've tried to do is to limit stress on the body, do things such as meditation, short walks. I try to do them probably every 45 minutes, sometimes to an hour and a half. But I try to keep my body moving, try to take naps if I can, or just shut my eyes and take breathers. But in reading your book, it seemed like stress was one of the biggest factors that influenced methylation. Oh man, it's such huge. It influences biological aging. Yeah. I think stress is gasoline on the fire of aging. I mean, it's no joke and we don't take it seriously, unless you face plant, like your experience as a C-suite guy, the statistics on C-suite burnout are horrible. I mean, everybody wants to 
be a CEO or COO or top of the company, the price that is paid for that, we're actually going to be doing a YPO challenge where we're going to be working with C-suite people exclusively introducing our program to them. And I, and I can't wait. And yeah, the stress piece is huge. I just want to say that in the clock that we used measuring DNA methylation, a full 25% of that clock is influenced by cortisol, by the ultimate stress hormone. And there's no other variable to my knowledge in any of the clocks. So there's next generation clocks available now too, that influences it with such impact, such so broadly. So stress might prove to be the biggest piece of this puzzle. I mean, it really could. We always point to diet as the biggest piece, but man, stress is a potent driver of all things aging, the diseases, the aging journey itself, DNA methylation, epigenetic expression, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Well, so what I'm doing, you You seem really nice and laid back. I mean, I've really had a great time talking to you. You look fabulous. You've made good changes. Well, the second one that I've working on, and it's a constant work for me because I've suffered a lot of trauma in my past has been sleep. Yes. And as I started looking at this, I've seen studies that show if you're not getting those six to eight hours of sleep on a consistent basis, it starts impacting your telomeres. And the lack of sleep can actually shorten the telomeres, which then, as I understand it, directly impacts biological aging. So I don't think people truly understand how important sleep is. And I have a guest whose episode will be coming up here very shortly, Dr. Sarah Mednick. And she just put out a book, The Power of the Downstate. I think so much of what she's talking about in her book, in addition to her other book about napping, is so vital is, yes, you need that sleep, but you also need these downstate periods one for stress control, but two for all the other things that it brings. So can you touch on sleep? Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Mednick is awesome. Be sure to give her a big virtual hug for me. I love her and I love her work. She's such a great neuroscientist. She'll just be fabulous on your podcast. Sleep is essential. If you're not sleeping, you're aging, no doubt about it. And not just via measured telomere length, but via negative changes to DNA methylation. And this is in animals and in humans. There's quite a bit of damage happening. In animal studies where we can like pop their brain out, dissect and look at changes in the brain tissue, you see neuronal genesis, the growth and viability of neurons just damaged. And this is after one lousy night's sleep. So again, in the chronic problem, is going to have far-reaching effects. So Matthew Walker, another neuroscientist who studies sleep out of University of California as well, along with Dr. Mednick, just really says that, argues that sleep is, poor sleep is the driver of biological age. I think that it's multifactorial, but I definitely think that poor sleep is a big contributor. And conversely, if you're sleeping well, you're healing and you're allowing healthy methylation patterns to develop. And so we wanted our participants to get seven hours. Like you, sleep was my weak link as well in the Pillars of the Younger You program. And I became a mom later in life and it kicked my sleep and my poor sleep into even higher gear. My daughter was waking up a lot and I had to train for good sleep. Like one would train for a marathon. In fact, that's what, what we wrote in the book. It's true. I had to just take hack after hack after hack to figure out what would finally enable me to get a decent night's rest and micro hacks worked for me, many of them. Getting to sleep on time, for instance, like giving myself enough runway to actually get enough hours. I know my kid's going to be up at six, so I'm going to have to go to bed 
at, at 10 at the latest, right. Or maybe 10 30 or something like that. Like just structuring things, making sure my room was cool, bed was comfortable, pillows are okay, et cetera. There's all these basic things that we can do to uh, sleep, not eating a heavy meal, having nothing actually a few hours before bed. These add up. Being mindful of exercise. There's a simple one. Are you exercising too late in the day? And, or, or are you somebody who does better with later exercise? I mean, you kind of have to find your sweet spot, but I covered quite a bit of these. I sleep so, so much better. Not perfect. I use meditation a, a lot, but yeah, tonight, last night I had a fabulous night's sleep and I needed it because I had a poorer night's sleep the previous night and, but it works. I think the hacks work and I think I cover them in my book pretty well. Yeah, you do. And for me, the biggest one that I've found that's been helpful for me is the more I can follow the circadian rhythm and be consistent with when I go to bed and when I wake up, the better my sleep needs tends to be in general. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on about it, but we have other (laughs) stuff to talk about. So I'll stop. So the next one I wanted to hit on was exercise. What I try to do is I work out six days a week. And even when I'm not working out, I walk probably five miles a day. And I do one large walk and then multiple smaller walks throughout the day. But I try to incorporate three to four times a week cycling, which I know you're a fan of too. But I do either road bike a couple days a week, and then I'll do a couple days of spin class just so I get some of that more max cardio in. And then I supplement it with gym days. I think you point out something similar that David Sinclair does, and that is just there's this need several times of a week to get, as you brought up earlier in the segment, so much time being in a cardiovascular state, which there's more and more science that cardiovascular exercise does more for you than weightlifting when it comes to biological age. I don't think we can say one does more, honestly, there's always, so one study might come out that'll tip it one way and people will run that way. And then another study will come out that will argue for resistance training. We need both. There's just no doubt about it. I was way more in the cardio camp. I've been a cyclist for my entire adult life, like a no joke, let's ride hard. I competed and I still love, it's still just incredibly important. And it's my happy place. I was on my bike this morning. It's my happy place. I lift now with a real commitment. I do res- resistance training. I do three days a week, but a good workout. Like I've been doing German volume training. It's funny. It's somebody who is so cardio and now I'm doing German volume training. I love it though. I absolutely love it. I love my body making muscles. And I think that both are good. In fact, when I was writing the section on exercise in the book, we caution about over-exercising, but really the majority of the science out there is just the crazy amount of benefits. One of the most important, important longevity elixirs that we can engage in. It's essential. And I like that you do spin class because you're with other humans. That community element, I think, for exercise is so important. I ride solo. I used to have a riding group, but I don't now. But my gym is this local garage that our coaches, he trains all the athletes the high school athletes and all of their parents come and to, they work out. So I'm in like the mom bod class and it's just so fun. It's just fun and friendly. And that community component is really important, I think as well. Let me say a second about overtraining. I mentioned one study in the book where, and in my research paper, where there's some evidence that overtraining will be a pro-aging phenomenon. And so where there's more evidence for this is like, if you look at athletes and myself, I experienced this myself after the season. So after whatever your sport is, you finish your season and, and many get sick and you can measure their secretary IGA, one of the 
all important immunoprotective compounds. That's our nose. It's just all along our mucosa. So in our lungs and our nose and our gastrointestinal tract and our mouth, you can measure it in athletes after their season and it's low, it's suppressed. So they're immunosuppressed after that intense season. And I used to get sinusitis every year. So there's evidence that overtraining isn't healthy. Not that I want to say you stop your competitive sport, do it and love it, but maybe at some point wind it down when you get older. Okay. Good advice. So the last area I want to dive into would be what we eat. And so my routine is I intermittent fast six days a week, sometimes seven, which I just did an interview earlier this week with Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, who's a predominant person in the ketosis world, who told me I'm probably doing it too much, but it's working for me. But in addition to that, How many hours I wake- though, when you say you intermittent fast, like what is your window? My window to eat is if I start at 12, I stop at 7 to 7.30. If I would start at 1 p.m., I end 8. And then I don't eat. So I try to get in 16 hours. And then some days I will do multi-day fasts, but it just depends on how much I want to detox. But every day I wake up, one of the first things I do is I hydrate. So immediately upon waking up, I have water. I take a greens. I typically have used athletic greens, but I'm now experimenting with others. And then I do a ton of supplements. So I do a lot of EPA and DHA, like very high. I do chelated magnesium at night with a vitamin D. I do liquid zinc drops. I'm doing resveratrol. In addition to that, I try to do, as I said before, the K2, the D. And in addition to that, I'm using a complex mushroom supplement and a beet supplement plus biotin. And then my diet is very heavily a lot of kale, salads, vegetables, and proteins. And sometimes I'll go on very low carb diets, but that's generally what I've been doing. And I've probably missed some supplement. MCT oil is something that I also do as well. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So in our study, as you know, we only used a probiotic and a greens powder, but in the book, I cover a lot of additional supplements we want to consider and you've aligned yourself with our recommendations very well. I would do a little extra. You're probably doing some curcumin or turmeric or trying to get that in your diet. I think green tea is an additional player that whose importance is, is there's plenty of evidence for. I actually use Himalayan tartary buckwheat from Big Bold Health. That's Dr. Jeff Bland's company. It's not wheat. It's not a gluten containing grain, but it is loaded with those, those nutrients that sort of direct where methylation is happening in our book. They're epinutrients. They're mostly phytochemicals. So they're compounds from plants that seem to direct where methylation is happening towards an optimal pattern. And so Himalayan tartary buckwheat is packed with it. But resveratrol, as you mentioned, all of the leafy greens that you're doing, likely you're doing some berries and stuff like that, that again, are very important directing traffic. What else? No, the berries are one area that I don't do as much of. I do a ton of almonds and seeds and stuff like that. Good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you've definitely kind of embraced core pillars of our program. I know we're getting short on time, so I wanted to ask one last question, and that is if someone implements this and they can start addressing the upstream biological age, how much can this likely help them avoid chronic conditions as they get older or push them off? That's a 
great question. We don't know. I mean, we're gonna we're continuing to collect study data. I would ask people come to youngeryouprogram.com and visit us. In fact, we have a biological age self-assessment that is free. So you can do this little, you can do a questionnaire that'll give you an idea of your age to start you on the journey. And you can join us on the journey if you go over to youngeryouprogram.com. So we know that this program lowers biological age, but we also know that there's plenty of evidence on the pillars of this program being anti-inflammatory, being heart smart, being brain supportive, being anti-cancer. So all of the chronic diseases of aging, we know that this dietary and lifestyle pattern is beneficial for reasons even beyond DNA methylation. Our expectation, our goal, my goal with this work is that we extend health span to be in lockstep with our lifespan. So that we live long, we experience what Jane Fries coined in the 80s, a compression of morbidity. So we have minimal diseases. And when we die, it's sort of quick and, and relatively painless and uneventful. I mean, that is the goal that I have for this work. And I'll continue to study it towards that end. Well, great. Well, down the line, I'd love to have you come back as you're studying more and learning more And you already gave one way for people to find you. I know you've got a great Facebook group as well that people can join. What's a way that they can do that? You can find, if you come to our hub, youngeryouprogram.com, we'll have a link to joining our face group. You can get, if you have the book, if you buy the book, there are a million downloads that you'll have access to extra recipes, lists of methylation adaptogens, just all sorts of cool, good stuff is over at Youngeryou program.com. That's our hub and it'll get you where you need to go. (laughs) Kara, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. Such fascinating work that you're doing. Thank you. I just really appreciate it. I appreciate the hard work that you're doing in this field and bringing this information forward. So thanks for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with Kara and wanted to thank Kara and Hatchet Books for giving me the honor of interviewing her. Links to all things Kara will be in the show notes at passionstruck.com. Please use our website links if you buy any books from the authors that are featured on the podcast. Any proceeds that go from those purchases go to support the show and making it free for our listeners. Videos are at YouTube at John R. Miles. Advertiser deals and discount codes are all in one place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider consider supporting those who support this show. I'm at John R. Miles on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook. If you want to know how I manage to book all these amazing guests, it's because of my network. Go out there and build yours before you need it. And I did want to mention that almost all of our guests subscribe to the podcast and provide suggestions on topics and other guests that we should interview. So please come join this Passion Struck community. You will be in great company. You're about to hear a preview of the Passion Struck podcast interview I did with Dr. Ayelet Fishback, an award-winning psychologist at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and the past president of the Society for the Science of Motivation. We discussed her new best-selling book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. One reason it's hard to choose our objectives is that we often plan for our future self and we have this policy where we think that our future self is going to be much more of a superhuman than our present self, uh, uh, which means that uh, when we plan for the future, we uh, envision the person that doesn't get tired or hungry or frustrated or, or bored. 
And uh, that person, uh, of course, will get up at 6 a.m., work until uh, midnight. Well, not really. And so it's often hard to uh, plan because our plans uh, suffer from uh, uh, what we refer to as the empathy gap, as lack of empathy for our uh, future self. Remember, we rise by lifting others. So share this show with those you love. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with someone else who could use this advice on how to reduce your biological age that Kara gave here today. In the meantime, do your best to apply what you hear so you can live what you listen. And we'll see you next time. Live life passion struck.